this day, would you uh, take these offerings and would you multiply them for the furtherance of your kingdom? Lord, you know what our needs are. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the participation that we get to do in what you're doing in building your kingdom. And so, would you take this and multiply it? And uh, we give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and pass those, please. Um, so again, yes, welcome uh, to Living Grace. Um, <coughs> we have a little, um, a, a couple of needs. But first of all, uh, th- how many of you can believe that next week is Easter? Uh, this side's kind of excited here. This side's not sure yet. How about, um, how about today is Easter? Because every day Easter, right? We, I was telling someone recently that uh, he's uh, part of another religious system, that they have their high holy days and special days that they... I said, yeah, we're... He said, how's the church going? It's kind of like, well, we're pretty... We're getting fired up for our high holy day Easter. But you know what? I go, I kind of like to celebrate Easter every day. And he kind of looked at me like he had never heard that before. I said, well, yeah, man, every day Easter. So uh, we have uh, a number of services for you. We have the 6 a.m. service. Woo-woo! 6 a.m. It's anointed. There's just a special, special sight when you see the sun rise up right over the Sinclair station over there. It's like, ah, glory. 6 a.m., also 8.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday. Here are some flyers for you, some tear-outs. You can take these and give these to a few hundred of your most intimate friends. They go, where's your church again? Here, hand them one of these so that they can come to Easter service and hear the the good news and celebrate with us. Invitations for that. Also, this Saturday, uh, we are going to be serving at the Budget Suites down the road. Uh, many of you have been a part of that over the years. It's a fantastic time, and uh, we go there and we give away bikes and clothes and food, and there's going to be a band there this year. We're, we're kicking it up a notch between Sundays. Jared's band in the back, sound guy extraordinaire, and one heck of a drummer, too. Yeah, his band between Sundays will be there in an effort to get everybody up out of them apartments, you know, so the whole apartment complex will hear it. But uh, we, uh, we're excited about that. But we need people to help. So many of you have signed up to help already and serve in various capacities. If you go back to the, everybody look back at that table right there, back there. Yeah, there's a sign-up sheet for you where you can sign up to be a part of that. So we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, so we have that coming up. Um, uh, the week after that uh, is a, a, a church-wide yard sale that we're having. And um, uh, our men's ministry uh, uh, hosts that uh, each, uh, uh, each year. And so it's an opportunity for you to sell some items, participate. Also, maybe buy some items to alleviate someone else's stuff. Uh, some good deals, and uh, if you tell them you're a church member, they might give you a deal. I'm just saying, they may not. They may charge you more, but most of the people will give you a deal. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for that special handsaw, you might find it here on that day. So that's available to you. And there'll be a lot of people hopefully coming through our parking lot, so an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with other people and just kind of minister in that capacity. There have been some interesting God conversations in our parking lot. Uh, at the garage sale. Uh, We also are going to be doing the Risen movie series. That's uh, going to be coming up uh, on uh, uh, April the 19th. We're going to be showing that here. It's a Wednesday night. And then the week after that, we're kicking off six-week studies through the book, uh, through through the movie Risen. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, We just had a meeting today with all of the light group leaders. And so there'll be sign-ups out next week for you to participate in a particular group that you might want to be a part of because light groups are, are the, the, the grow portion of our church. It's, it's critical that you connect with other people throughout the week. It's critical. That's part of the reasons why Jesus died, so we would have relationships with one another. So I want to encourage you with that. We have a little video clip to show you because we have a need. Everybody look back to the sound booth. Normally what happens is, is that you do not know they're there until something doesn't quite mesh or tweak together. And here's what happens. Here's what you do. Here's this, like, like something happens and everybody does this. Yeah. 
And that's what they do. They wave at you. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I know. I understand. All right. So anyway, a little video clip for... Oh, hey there, Living Grace family. So you've probably been hearing a lot about connect, grow, serve, and you're like, where's my part in all that? Well, let me tell you, if you've got some talent or even if you've got a desire to learn about sound ministry, maybe slides, any kind of thing that goes on in the tech booth back there, we could use your help. So you're like, hey, I don't got any training. We'll take care of that. All we need is for some folks to kind of step up and say, hey, I know a little bit about computers and I know a little bit about sound. I want to get involved, and so we'd love to have you. Just come and see me after church right in the back. Thanks. <laughs> That's right. If you have the talent, they could use you. But if you don't have the talent but you have desire, they could still use you. So that's always important. It's a vital part of what we do. Um, let me give you, Brother Glenn, make your way up. And while he's doing that, let me give you a couple of save the dates. Mother's Day tea. May the 13th. Mother's Day tea. Save the date. And we already talked about the Risen series. Brother Glenn is going to talk to us about men's stuff. Good morning. I'm going to share something with you. I'd like to read this to you. Scripture provides the authoritative, objective truth to govern your process. It provides the objective truth to govern your choices and decision-making. The Holy Spirit empowers you to accomplish the demands of Scripture as you live under the Holy Spirit, being full of of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, which is accomplished as you make worship a lifestyle and not just an event. God sends trials. When God sends trials into your life, do you have a hard time seeing them as coming from his hand? I've wrestled with that on occasions when you go through a trial and you don't realize that God is doing something. This current administration, one of the things it said was it wanted to drain the swamp. A lot of times some trials in our own life, the Lord is draining the swamp in your life. He's being spiritual. He's doing things. God gives you relationships so that the spiritual passion of others keeps you spiritually hot and the discipleship process is kept on track. That's for each and every one of us. However, my appeal this morning is for you men. Next month, we're having our annual men's retreat. 19, 20, and 21. Sign-up sheet is over there, registration form. We want to encourage you men. Some of you have never been. Some of you have been. But it takes us to involve ourselves to make our church successful. The late Dr. Walter Martin said, Are you willing to do for the truth what the cults are willing to do for a lie? It's $150. We've made it even cheaper. And the last week, we're going to have to charge you 165 <laughs> But we're trying to encourage you to come on out because this year's theme is revival again. And perhaps you need just that in your life. So with that, we expect to see some registrations and let's go to the hill again this year, man. Amen. Well, uh, yeah, good time. Uh, why don't you all stand together with me, please? Typically, Pastor Jonathan is here doing the announcements, and um, earlier this morning, uh, his wife Jennifer was here uh, serving with us, and uh, her, her mom is not, uh, Barbara, is not, not doing well, and so we just want to be able to, to, to pray for them, and uh, many of you know Greg, her brother, who uh, 
fellowships here as well. We just want to be able to pray for them. As um, um, I'm told, she called 911. Don't don't know what's going on, but you know, you know, when you're a senior citizen and you know you end up in the hospital, it could could be a multitude of reasons. But we just, you know, they're they're our family, and uh, we just want to pray for them right now. So let's do that, Father. In the name of Jesus, we just lift up. Uh, this family to you, we lift up Jennifer and Greg and Pastor Jonathan and, and Barbara in particular, and we pray, God, that you would set your hand on her, oh, Lord, and give her peace, um, uh, give her strength, and, Lord, that you would uh, handpick the doctors, nurses, and everyone who's going to be working with her, oh, Lord, give them supernatural revelation and wisdom. God, uh, touch her body, uh, give her strength, and uh, give her peace right now. These are traumatic things for not just her, but her family, but give them peace, oh God. There are others as well, oh Lord, even just mentioning this makes you think about maybe someone in your life that uh, is uh, kind of at that point where, you know, getting older and uh, the, 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 the highs and the lows and the sicknesses and the doctor's appointments. Lord, would you give endurance to your people and strength uh, we do lift up our brother Lawrence to you as well, who is not here this morning as his dad passed away in Indianapolis. And um, we just thank you for his servant's heart. We pray you minister to him and his family. And that it be a special time between him and his boy as well as they are in Indianapolis together. And so, so Father, uh, we lift up these things to you and other needs that we may not even be aware of. God, we're a family. Uh, we're to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so we want to be able to do that, God. Now, Lord, thank you for what you've already done. Take your word and give it life to our bones and in strength and encouragement that, Lord, we would, at the end of this next 30 minutes, look much more like you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would, please. All right, so uh, you're no doubt familiar with these sayings. Uh, things happen for a reason. You ever said that? Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Uh, do you typically say that when things are going well? Like, you know, if you win a lottery, have you ever heard somebody say, hey, everything happens for a reason? I, I, I don't. It's like, yeah, I'm the lucky one or whatever. But on the other hand, um, when things, you know, things are hard, things are tough, and, and it's like someone says to you, well, everything happens for a reason. I guess you got to be careful when you say that or what context you say that, because that may be the last thing that someone wants to hear, even though it's true. And it is true, or is it? I'm not sure if you're, familiar, if you're a, a, a college uh, basketball fan. I am a little bit. But uh, the UConn women's basketball team won 111, 111 straight games. Uh, that, that means they, they, haven't, they haven't lost since the Civil War. That's what that means. No, I'm kidding. But they have been a dynasty. And the expectation this year, like every last five years, is that they're going to win it again. I mean, they're just obliterating teams. And they ended up losing in uh, the NC2As this year. And the coach, uh, who is an amazing coach, one of the best ever, said, well, everything happens for a reason. And I thought, does it? I'll tell you what happened was you couldn't stop that last girl from shooting that shot, and therefore you lost. But anyway, he's the expert. I'm not. That's the reason you lost. But he was alluding to something that's maybe greater than that. And I've thought about that saying, everything happens for a reason. And you've probably heard me say, does it? Like if you don't have a, a belief in God which we as believers of the Bible believe that God is sovereign over all. God's in control. Uh, he's able to maneuver things however He wants to, whenever He wants to, for whatever reason He wants to, without explaining it to anyone. That's our God. And when things go well with us, we kind of, we're okay with that. 
when things don't go well, we think, hey, what's up, God? Okay. Um, but if you don't have that context, why would you believe that everything happens for a reason? And what reason what would that be? And what if everything doesn't happen for a reason? In fact, if there's no God, what's the reason for the universe? Why does it even exist? There has to be some purpose behind everything that exists. There has to be a designer. I mean, we look at these screens and we know that someone designed that projector. Therefore, it has purpose because there's a designer. Uh, so, you know, everything happens for a reason. How about this? Another statement. I guess you were at the right place at the right time. You ever said that? Oh boy, man, you were at the right place at the right time. And then there's the flip side of that, and that's being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Because I thought about it, and I thought, is there really such a thing as the right place at the wrong time? Because if it's the wrong time, it's the wrong place, right? I know you're thinking, I came for this. You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. I knew, I knew we should have went to the, anyway. Well, we believe in a sovereign God. We believe that he's in control of everything. Whether or not he's in control of UConn losing, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. You know, one team in the Super Bowl is praying for victory. The other team is praying for victory. The New England Patriots have a full-time minister on staff whose office is right next to Coach Belichick's. Is that why they won? I don't know. But we do believe in a God who's sovereign. We believe in a God who's sovereign over the affairs of the universe and in my life. And so that I can say that Everything happens for a reason. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But sometimes life throws you a curveball and it's not good. And sometimes, like, when someone says everything happens for a reason, it's like, I don't even want to hear that right now. You know, uh, Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, they have a very large ministry and church in Southern California that's international. Um, their son committed suicide years ago. And she wrote this about joy and about, about the hills and valleys of life. And I think it's a, great, it's a great context for what we're talking about. Here's what she said. We tend to think that life comes in hills and valleys. In reality, it's much more like train tracks. Not the train coming at you, so hang on. Every day of your life, wonderful good things happen that bring pleasure and contentment and beauty to you. At the exact same time, painful things happen to you or those uh, you love that disappoint you, hurt you, and fill you with sorrow. These two tracks, both joy and sorrow, run parallel to each other every single moment of your life. Okay. That's why when you're in the midst of an amazing experience, you have a nagging realization that it's not perfect. And while you're experiencing something painful, there's the glorious realization that there is still beauty and loveliness to be found. Um, they're inseparable. Now, if you look down train tracks into the brightness of the horizon, the tracks become what? One. You can't distinguish them as two separate tracks. That's how it will be for us too. One day, our parallel tracks of joy and sorrow will merge into one. The day we meet Jesus Christ in person and see the brightness of who he is, it will all come together for us. Then it will all make complete sense. I think that's brilliant. I do. And there's much, much more to that that I didn't include, but I wanted to give you that portion. That's, the, that's, that's great. And so God is the master weaver who's weaving together our lives and who somehow gets us where we need to be when we need to be there for a purpose that he has for us. Have you seen that in your life? You know, someone maybe looked at you and said, wow, what a coincidence. 
What exactly is coincidence? Luck happened. Looks like you made the right decision today. What about one? If I like, if I like make the wrong decision, is that coincidence too? Normally, coincidence is for good things. Ah, anyway, God is the master weaver who's weaving together the tapestry of your life. I have to tell you, I haven't always been a follower of God. I mean, I kind of never was a God hater, but for sure, there much of my life I didn't follow him. But when I realized who Jesus was, and he's the one who flicked the switch in my heart, it's not that I figured it out, and I, and I look back at my life, the most amazing realization was that, God, you were there. I, I saw all the points where God met me. I mean, I saw appointments that I had. I mean, I, I remembered when I was, and I've shared this with you, when I was playing basketball at UNLV, and Coach Tarkanian had somebody come and talk to us, which he did from time to time, but normally it was another basketball player or something. And this man came and he talked and he told us about Jesus. And it's funny, I completely forgot that until I became a follower of Christ. And it's like the Spirit of the Lord said, remember when I visited you in, that, in the North Gym at UNLV? And I never knew who that guy was. I never did. Until recently, one of the players who heard that same conversation told me this. I was dumbfounded. Because I told him that story. He goes, Richard, I remember that. He goes, you know who that guy is? I go, no, but I'd like to thank him. Oh, his name is so-and-so, and he still lives in Las Vegas. And in fact, after that meeting, I was having Bible studies with him. And, I, you know, if he would have been in front of me, I would have slapped him. I said, you were meeting with him and having Bible studies and didn't invite me? I think I would have went. Well, maybe I wouldn't have. I might have said, oh, oh, man, I don't want to get nowhere near that Bible. I don't know. Isn't that interesting, though? What a coincidence. No, no. Okay. So before Jesus was actually crucified, if you've seen the story in the movies or you've read it, you know that uh, the situation the last day and a half before he was crucified was pretty difficult. He had the great emotional stress of the Garden of Gethsemane. The picture that you see of him leaning against the rock with that lovely face looking up to heaven, he has that aura around him. By the way, Jesus never had an aura. There were times he revealed his glory. But like, remember when Judas betrayed him and he told the soldiers, I'll identify him for you. Do you remember what it was? It was the kiss. He didn't say, hey, he'll be easy to spot. He's the one who's glowing. He didn't say that. It's not, it's not what he, he, you know, he didn't do that. So the picture of him leaning against the rock and, you know, oh, the, no, no, this was a horrible place to be. He was in such anguish that he began to sweat like drops of blood. He said, my soul is sorrowful unto death. Oh, uh, he suffered the emotional stress of being deserted by his disciples. He suffered the, the, the physical beating by Caiaphas, the high priest's house, uh, not to mention uh, at least one night with no sleep, not to mention no food or no water, plus being traped through six different cases, six different trials in various places throughout Jerusalem over a, over a path over two miles that he had to walk in between beatings. Not to mention the scourging and the beating that he took by Pilate's henchmen before. And the scourging, that was, that, was, uh, that was standard operating procedure for anybody who the Romans were crucifying. Uh, one scholar said it was the legal preliminary to every Roman execution. Women, Roman soldiers, or senators were exempt unless a soldier deserted. They weren't even allowed, Romans weren't even allowed to be crucified, much less scourged. So this scholar says the pain and the blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shot. The extent of blood loss may, have well, may well have determined how long the victim would survive on the cross. He goes on to say this about the scourging itself. The severe scourging with its intense pain 
and appreciable blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock state. Moreover, hematidrosis had rendered his skin particularly tender. The physical and mental abuse meted out by the Jews and the Romans, as well as the lack of food, water, sleep, contributed to a generally weakened state. Therefore, even before the crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious and possibly critical. Okay? Why do I share that with you? Because I want to talk to you about one of the characters that got thrust into this story. As I read the narrative of the Passion Week or, or, or the, the Passion of Christ, the, the, the suffering and the, and the Holy Week as we call it, uh, I'm amazed at the, at the people that just show up. And because I believe in a sovereign God, I believe these people were hand-chosen to be in the positions that they were in at the times when they did not realize it. So one, one of my guys that, that I, I believe is in heaven, I don't know for sure, but, I, you know, I, it, Simon of Cyrene. Uh, Simon of Cyrene. Um, uh, now, when I visited Israel, I have to tell you that, that we went uh, to the Dead Sea and it was in January, and I mean, we were all in the Dead Sea. I had mud all over me. It was fantastic. It's like I would not do that anyplace else probably in the world but the Dead Sea. Certainly not Lake Mead. You might, you might need to go to the ER if you put all that stuff on you. Uh, but we went up from the Dead Sea, and we went up on this route, uh, and, and it was like we started reading what's called uh, the Psalms in the book of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent. And many scholars, most scholars believe that as the ancient Jewish pilgrims were making their way to Jerusalem, because three times a year, within a certain geographic circumference, they were to make their way to Jerusalem for festivals. You know, God's a God who loves a good party, in case you didn't know that. You know, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Um, God, God commanded his people, listen, three times a year, I need you in Jerusalem to have a party with me. I mean, how cool is that? Anyway, that's what they did. And... For some, it was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience because they had to go so far to get there. But I remember as we were going in, and and as they would, the ancients would make their way up to Jerusalem, which which all throughout the Bible, it's always up to Jerusalem. And even if you're Mount Hermon, which is at 10 or 12,000, 10 or 11,000 feet, uh, it would still, even if you left there, you'd still go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is that city on a hill. It's that... It's the, the navel of the world. It's the center of, of prophecy in the Bible. It's where everything goes down in the end times, so to speak, right? And so we're on the bus, and we start, we start reading the, the Psalms of Ascent, and they were telling us that the ancient pilgrims would make their way sometimes months on the journey up to Jerusalem, and the closer they got, ascent literally means that. There, there's an ascension. There's a crescendo as they're, as they're going through its... Uh, now, Psalm 120 to Psalm 135, you can read it this week and imagine yourself being one of those ancient pilgrims making your way up to Jerusalem and, uh, and, and there'd be an excitement. But as we were going there, I was like, you know, my, I mean, being in Israel was just amazing, the things we had already seen, but now we're going to Jerusalem. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, like I've read about this place. This is where Jesus Christ is literally going to stand one day. This is, this is going to be, there's going to be a thousand year rule and reign on the earth and he's going to be in Jerusalem. And I'm like, man, this is Jerusalem. <coughs> this is, this is crazy. And I mean, we, we, it's going to come up. Everything's dead and bare, not dead because it's really not like that in Israel. Every place else it is, but in the Middle East, but in Israel, it's fertile and, and it's desert. It's, you know, the Dead Sea. It's hot and dry. And we're making our way to Jerusalem and we kind of turn this corner and I see Jerusalem for the first time. And I'm telling you, it was absolutely exhilarating. I've, I've been a lot of places. I mean, I've seen a lot of, ancient monuments. I've, I've walked on the Great Wall of China, and I've, I've, I've seen some things, not like a whole bunch of things, not I think of it. But anyway, um, I was trying to think of other things that I've seen, but I'm drawing blanks here. Help me out, honey. Help me out. Where? I passed. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I passed right by the Louvre because I was 25 and didn't care, but that's another story. And, and, and there's Jerusalem, and I'm like, whoa. And I look, and there's the Temple Mount. And I'm like, oh my God, it was just, I mean, th- there's just some, woof, I got to tell you, it was amazing. It was, ama- it was breathtaking. Um, so for, 
the ancients to travel to Jerusalem, for some, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Some of them would travel a long time to get there. Months, weather problems, wild animals, dangers from bandits, robbers, whatever. Um, The man that we're going to read about is Simon of Cyrene. Simon traveled 800 miles to get to Jerusalem. Let me give you a little context. Start here and drive to Casper, Wyoming. That's 800 miles. And he didn't have a car or plane. That's commitment. That's excitement. That's dangerous. Some of y'all think that's crazy. No. Even if he made it once, it would be worth the trip. And so, Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Here's, the, here's our scripture. We have two scriptures today. Here's one. Ready? No. You ready? Okay. Thank you. Mark 20, 15, 21. It says, They forced into service a passerby coming in from the countryside, Simon of Cyrene, father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. He was a coming in from the countryside because there probably wasn't any room in Jerusalem because when the Passover took place, you heard last week how uh, Kathy Wilson said there's, there's a quarter, there's, there's hundred, I think she said 225,000 lambs being slaughtered in Jerusalem during Passover. It's, it's bursting at the seams. You didn't get there early, you didn't get a room. And so... He's coming in from the countryside, okay? Um, so the standard operating procedure of the Romans was to car- have the accused carry their cross because they wanted to make a big procession out of it. They wanted to show everybody what happens if you cross Rome. And understanding the physical condition of Jesus, it's highly unlikely that he could have carried the entire cross. Many of the pictures that you see show him carrying that. That cross could have weighed as much as 300 pounds. He probably had the crossbar strapped around him or at least he was holding on with his arms. He's in critical condition. He's in danger of going into shock. Uh, He's not carrying 300 pounds. This is my guess. I don't know for sure and maybe it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that they're making him carry it through the crowds. Uh, The largest part of the cross is is the, the vertical beam. A lot of those vertical beams uh, were permanently attached into the ground and they would just attach the crossbar to it. Uh, and so as people were going in and out of Jerusalem, they could see those beams, those vertical beams. And it was just a reminder of what happens if you cross Rome. And so they, these soldiers, they, they didn't want people dying on the way to the cross because they were so bloodthirsty and that, you know, for them it was advertising to show. And so they wanted people on the cross. And so if somebody couldn't carry their cross, they would pick somebody out of the crowd to carry that cross for them. Now, Simon may have heard of Jesus. He may not have. He lived in a coastal city in northwest, northeast Libya today. That's where Siren, ancient Cyrene was. And it's, like I said, it's 800 miles along the coast from there all the way up to Jerusalem. All right? Um, and so um, he traveled a great distance. Maybe he'd heard about Jesus because it was a coastal city. Maybe the people, uh, the, as, as the ships would come in, they talk about this great preacher or this great prophet who's in Jerusalem. Maybe he heard about uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. Whatever the case... This day, he's just a face in the crowd. That's it. Uh, he's there. For whatever reason, he's, he's there. Uh, maybe he just wanted to see what was going on. Maybe he had heard Jesus was passing by. Maybe he had never seen anybody get crucified. Uh, we don't know, but he's just a face in the crowd. And he must have been shocked when the soldier looked at him and said, You carry his cross. Now, let me just say this. I know in our society, we're like, well, I'm not carrying that cross. Okay, you're going to die then. Okay, it wasn't like you you couldn't just tell the Romans you were going to do what they said because they didn't care about you. I mean, you meant nothing to them. Life meant nothing to them. And so he just just had to be, you know, hey, man, I don't even live in Jerusalem. Why are you making me do this? And because he was from north, now there were a large contingent of Jews that that were living in this area of Cyrene. There were a lot. 
It's also possible that he was North African and that he was a black man. So it could be that when they were looking for someone to carry the cross, they wanted somebody that wasn't from Jerusalem or at least didn't look like they were because they knew that if they picked someone uh, out of the crowd that, that was a local, that a riot could ensue. So if, in fact, he was a black man, an, an African man, maybe they picked him because he wasn't from the neighborhood. I don't know. He had come for the Passover. And the Passover was more than just one day. It was an entire week. Just like God. No, don't just come party for a day. Come for a whole week. Because you had Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. And so it was this entire, this entire celebration. But coming in contact with someone else's blood would make you unclean. And so no doubt going through his mind was, man, I've come all the way from Cyrene, and now I'm going to be contaminated by this blood, and I'm going to be unclean, and I'm not going to be able to finish the Passover celebration. This is like maybe the only time he's ever made it there. He's done. <coughs> It's hard to imagine what it must have been like as the Roman grabbed him and maybe threw him on the ground and said, pick it up. And he's like, and he does. And he, and he, and he picks up this beam and he's walking through this crowd and people are yelling, people are weeping, the religious leaders are, 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 are smug and, and, and thinking that they have the victory. And as he, as he's, forcing his way through this crowd and the Romans are pushing people out of the way. Uh, there's people are spitting and, and clenching their fists and yelling and screaming. People are weeping. And he must have thought, man, what is going on here? But you know what else I wonder if he thought? How in the world did I get singled out for this? Why am I in the middle of this mess? I didn't come here for that. It's hard to imagine. What are these people so angry at? Why are they so all over the place with this thing? I, 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 I don't know. What does all that mean? You know, it's interesting that his name is written down here. I think that the disciples didn't know him. Mark may not have known. Peter may not have known Simon. But why is his name mentioned? I don't know. We'll get to that. But I know this. He's the first man to carry the cross of, the cross of Christ. Literally. Jesus would talk about people carrying his cross. And when Jesus talked about you carrying a cross, he wasn't talking about like, you know, that relative. Oh, that's my cross to bear. They coming into town again. No, that's not a, that's, you know, you know, my wife's cooking. Oh my gosh, man, it's my cross. No, that's not a, no, no, no. You know, I don't know. You know, we say things, oh man, there must be your, and maybe some sickness that, that, that it would be difficult. Listen, Jesus says in Mark nine twenty three. If anyone wishes to follow me, that would be us. We're anyone. As my disciple, he must deny himself. You know, that goes against everything that comes natural to me. You know, if I, if I have to stand in the line that's about me versus the line that's about denying myself, I'm going to be in the line that's about me every time. <laughs> I'm not going to sign up for the line. Denial? Well, you betcha I want to die myself. That's just not natural for me. But if I'm going to follow Christ, there's going to be seasons of denial in my life where I'm going to have to say no to things that I could say yes to because, because he's telling me to. He says, follow me as my disciple. Deny himself. Set aside selfish interests. Take up his cross daily, which means expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. That's what he means by the cross, a willingness to endure whatever comes. Whew, and that is not easy, okay? Um, and follow me. So endure, conform to his example, and follow him. And he says that twice. 
And to follow means believe in, conforming to my example in living and if in, in needed in suffering and perhaps dying because of faith in me. Okay? So Simon becomes a prototype of all Christians. He, he, he carried the cross of Christ literally. But I think spiritually is something that we all have to carry. See, we come to Christ and our sins are forgiven and we're, we're excited, we're in the kingdom. We hear that there's a book in heaven and our name is in it and, and, and the, the weight of our sin is, is forgiven and, and, and now you've got to walk this walk. And, and, and the Lord says it's a narrow path. He says the broad path is filled with people, but this is a narrow path and it's not easy and there are not many on it. Okay, okay. So what does that look like? Well, following him, being a learner, living selflessly, enduring suffering and hardship, conforming to his example. Uh, So that's one thing I get out of the life of Rufus, I mean out of uh, uh, Simon. But then there's the mention of Alexander and Rufus, his sons. And isn't it interesting that Mark mentions his sons? Like, why would he do that? How do they even know about his sons? Uh, It's interesting that Simeon's name, somehow or another, Simeon, I believe, was connected to the church, either because of what happened or he already was. Because in Acts, it it talks about a contingent of people who come from Cyrene. So there were some disciples of Cyrene, and maybe he was one of them. We don't know. But it mentions Alexander and Rufus. And I believe that they were prominent in the early church. Romans chapter 16 says, Greet, greet Rufus, an eminent <coughs> and choice man in the Lord. Also, his mother, who has seen, uh, who has been a mother to me as well. So this may very well be the same Rufus who was the son of Simon. So maybe Simon becomes a follower and he spreads that to his own family. By the time we get to the church in Rome, his boys are active in the faith in Rome. Maybe. It's a possibility. Anyway, let me just share all of that to say this. First of all, you never know when you might get called by God to serve. It was no accident that Simon was there that day. It was also no accident that another man named Simon was not there because he was on the run. Simon Peter. Isn't that interesting? Same name. It's curious. You never know. God taps you on the shoulder. Maybe today the Lord's tapping you on the shoulder. Simon got called to carry his cross. Maybe you're getting called to join Christ in relationship. You never know when the Lord calls your name into service or into relationship. You never know. Is the Lord calling you today? Because you don't think it's an accident that you're here, do you? You don't think it's some mistake. You don't think God didn't have his hand in you showing up here, do you? I I believe in the sovereignty of God. You never know when, he's gonna get, when you're going to get that call. You just never know. And you know what else? You never know how one act of service can have lasting implications. What was going through Simon's mind afterward? So they get to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Christ is to be crucified. And he drops that beam and he backs up and he's covered in blood. And his clothes are a mess and he's got dirt all over him. And he's thinking his head is probably spinning. What just happened? I can't believe this. And he serves Jesus in a way that nobody else in the entire Bible did. And his name is written in the eternal word of God. His name, Simon, carried the cross of Christ. Wow. Wow. Thirdly, we're often blessed by things we're compelled to do. We're often blessed by things that we're compelled to do. I don't think he would have volunteered to do this, but he was compelled to do it. You know, sometimes when the Lord calls you to things, I don't think you would have signed up for that either, but the Lord compels you and you do it. And you're blessed. No, it's not always easy, but you're blessed. 
I believe that Simon carrying the cross of Christ was the most profound, significant thing that ever happened in his life. I don't think he ever forgot it. I think it changed his life. I don't know for sure. But I just believe the narrative is there for a reason. You never know how one act of service can change your life forever. Denying ourselves and carrying our cross, while not always easy, will always be fulfilling and bring glory to God. Okay. All right. Okay. So, let me close by asking you these two questions. Was Simon at the wrong place at the wrong time? Was he at the wrong place at the wrong time? He might have thought so. But you know what I think? I think he was at the right place at the right time. It was an unexpected place. God has a way of meeting us in those unexpected places. He really does. He meets us in unexpected places. So this Easter season, Joseph, come on up, brother. We're going to close out on a song. This Easter season, let's hone in on two things. Let's remember our call to set aside our own interest. Let's remember our call to set aside our own interest. Let's remember that call. Let's remember our call to take up his cross and follow him. That'll be different for each of us. But let's remember that. Let's serve other people. Let's look for ways to serve those in our own household. That's a good place to start. Serve in a way that maybe you haven't before. See how the Lord doesn't bless you for that. And you know what else? Go tell somebody about what Jesus has done in your life. Go tell somebody. See, I believe that Simon went back to Cyrene. I believe he told somebody. How was your trip to Jerusalem? Life-changing? I met Jesus. What? You met Jesus? What happened? I mean, wow. 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 So, listen. The characters in this story are unbelievable. They're unbelievable. Simon. Cyrene. How about the two thieves? on both sides as Christ was crucified hurling abuse and insults out of him one of them says man don't you fear God he's innocent for what he's done we're guilty and he looks at Jesus and says Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom remember me Jesus looks at him and says today you'll be with me in paradise think you could die a death by crucifixion with joy, but if it was at all possible, that dude had to be like, wow, like I'm in? Like I've been a thief all my life? A murderer, insurrectionist? And I'm like in like that? While the other thief was just hurling abuse. Ah, get us off of this cross. Ah, come on. Are you the Messiah or not? Come on. Isn't that interesting? How about the centurion? who looks up and says, surely this man was the son of God. That dude's seen hundreds of dudes die. He didn't care, but he looked at him and said, no, this guy's different, man. How was his life changed? How about Joseph of Arimathea, who says, hey, what's going to happen to the body of Jesus? I got a tomb, a family tomb. Bury him in there, man. You just can't leave him. got to come down before the Sabbath, man, and that's not cool. The characters, it's amazing. Read through it this week. Let the Lord speak to you. So we're going to sing a song, and I want to just tell you that, you know what, maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe he's saying, hey, you want to join me? 
Oh, you got to carry your cross. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be the most rewarding and fulfilling thing you ever do. Maybe that's you. We got a table in the back, guys, and there's some gentlemen back there with some information that would help you on that journey. I think that for Simeon, Simon, sorry, Simon, that that Jerusalem was his was his destination. But I believe that his life journey began. I believe that was, I believe it didn't end there, it began there. And God's in the, in the business of beginning things. And today, maybe the Lord will begin something in your heart, something new and different, something of relationship. Today, today, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, God, that you would um, uh, let your word accomplish all that it's designed to do. We look at the life of this man, God, and, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, there's so much more that we want to know about him. He's in one line in the entire pipe. What a profound line. But, Lord, maybe that's all written for us to consider and to ponder and to think about a new beginning, about a new relationship, about a new journey, starting a journey with you. And maybe today's that day. Maybe you've tapped some on the shoulder here today. Maybe you have. And you've said today is your day. I'm calling you, and you know it. You know it. You know. You know in your heart God's calling you. And if you'd like to respond to that, or you've never received Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive you, 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 you're embracing him and saying, Lord, I, I can't explain it all, but I just know I need you in my life. I need forgiveness, Lord. I need a relationship. You, that's your what I've been missing and I don't believe in coincidence and I'm not here by mistake today. And if that's you and you would receive and embrace Christ, would you raise your hand? We can pray with you. You would say, that's me, Pastor. I agree. I, I know it. I know it's me. I've been on the run from God. The last place I wanted to go was Jerusalem to meet Jesus. But I, I need Jesus. Anyone at all? I want to give you that chance. God sees your hand, young man. You better believe it. Anyone else? God sees your hand, young man. You carry his cross. You would. God knows that. carried some things in your life that haven't always been good. It's time to carry the cross of Jesus. He says his burden is light. It's heavy, but it's light because he helps. Thank you, Jesus.